Yeah, or just constantly being afraid that I'm going to suddenly go berserk and put an exacto knife in my eye or something like... I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. I'm Kevin. I'm JP. It's time for episode number 233 of Video Games Hot Dog featuring special guest JP LeBreton. Hello. JP, I have an idea. Why don't you tell your listeners a little bit about Jim and then Jim can tell our listeners a little bit about you. Uh, I first met Jim, uh, in Oakland. We were fighting for the resistance at that time. And he taught me how to reload a shotgun while changing a baby's diaper. You gotta get the, you have to stop the, the golf meter, like on the high lit line. And then the baby's diaper gets extra powerful. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. You can actually get three shells into a double barrel shotgun if you do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <clears throat> that's all i know about jim i think maybe he also makes video games do i now i have to come up with oh man all my crazy stories are used <laughs> some, up some invented <laughs> some invented facts yeah all my invented there was just that one thing that's all you remember yeah you're, you're like that, squeezed dry i'll start uh, you off i'm half dracula yeah uh-huh. <laughs> um yeah, jp uh worked on uh worked on bioshock uh probably other games too yep jp worked on uh Playski. Mm-hmm. Describe describe Playski actually for for my edification as well as the listeners. So it's a weird ASCII art program slash game engine type thing that I made last year, um, and uh, and I'm still working on it and making games with it. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, you know ASCII art computer characters, uh, and I looked at ASCII art programs that were out there, and I was like, okay, these are all cool, but what I really want is the ability to, for some reason, make game objects out of these and like have them run around and do stuff and basically wire it fully into the game engine so that if I wanted to have a game that looked like it was made out of ASCII characters, not have to export little image files out of each thing, but actually just have it live as a running live part of the engine. So it's it's actually a lot like a tile-based engine. And in fact, you could probably like import like Legend of Zelda tiles into there or something. I don't know. That's my super technical. I only ever know, I can only ever give the inside brainiac, you know, technical explanation. But yeah, it's like this weird, um, I mean, it stems from just my interest in making tools, which is, you know, filling gaps that aren't there before and seeing what new kinds of games you could make with, you know, it's uh, built as when you build different, when you build different kinds of tools that aren't Unity or Photoshop or Unreal Engine or whatever. What level of technical ability does the end user of this thing need in order to make something happen with it? Like what does using it look like? Yeah. Well, if you just want to make art with it, then it's just kind of like a paint, an an idiosyncratic GUI program. Uh, If you want to make a game with it right now, you have to be able to like write Python and like, you know, all that. Uh, but you don't. Goal, do, do you have to mess with the the source code of Playski itself, or can you actually just no? You, you so if if you know Python, you can. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. You can you can basically and like I I made like a couple of example games and and a any non example joke game uh, just sort of as mods. It's set up to have like kind of a mod like architecture where it's got the base engine quote unquote and then little directories where you can stuff stuff and just add on to and extend the the base game object functionality. So um I'm assuming when you say mod like you mean in the manner of the 70s sitcom starring B Arthur mod. Uh <laughs> the do does it is it primarily a real-time thing like game maker or is it 
can you throw it into like a turn-based mode which is sort of what i think a lot of people expect i guess it depends on whether you i guess it depends on whether you were weaned on nethack or z whether you i mean you could make something that looks very much like nethack uh if you wanted to do turn-based you would have to build your own logic for it like at some point i'll probably make a turn-based game with it Hmm. um and i'll probably include stuff that helps with that in the base game object thing so that you can just take it and go but for now everything's like completely real time like it it sort of looks a lot more primitive visually than it really is because like you're you're moving objects around and they've got like little collision circles and you know it it doesn't have like a full-on physics engine or anything and like the collision's like half done it's just like uh but yeah by default you're making like a real-time game where you can like drive a little ascii character around and stuff like that are they snipes What's up? Did you ever play Snipes? Snipes? No, I don't think so. It was uh, a <clears throat> you were like a little ASCII face, and you wandered around a. I don't. I think it was procedurally generated maze, and cool. had like Roboton controls where you could move and shoot independently. And uh, there were little monster generators, and the maze would sort of slowly fill up with the monsters if you didn't get to the generators in time. And cool. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. Sort of like ASCII Gauntlet. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Are you? Are the objects actually constrained to a grid? Are they moving like? Uh, no, they're not constrained to a grid. You okay. could you could constrain them to a grid if you for effect if you wanted to, or if you were making hmm. a turn based game where the grid was like meaningful to gameplay, then you could certainly do that. But that's, that's by a, default, yeah, because it's all being rendered by OpenGL and like has like a CRT f- shader on top of it. So it's like <laughs> it's this. I don't know. It's I don't know how to describe. Like, there's so many things about it that I don't know how to describe it. It's just like you know, I was building it for a particular game, and then I was like, oh yeah, there's like you know a bunch of other games I could make with this so yeah I never like I had limited exposure to ZZT <clears throat> as a kid so most of most of what I know about it is from Ananthropy's book yeah, yeah. Um, which is really good and I totally recommend I don't recommend all of the books in that series but there are a few that are very good yeah the boss oh right books. yeah it's yeah. The, it's yeah different authors different you know yeah. different approaches quali- I mean, different levels of quality I enjoyed the Birches one on uh, Metal Gear Solid 2. Would you know would you enjoy it if you knew nothing about that game or that series? <laughs> mm, possibly not. I mean, I don't think I would I would disenjoy it, but I wouldn't get most of what they were talking about. But you wouldn't recommend it to somebody who had not ever played a Metal Gear well, Correct. someone who had only played Correct. Metal Gear 1. Yeah, it's actually a really interesting I it didn't occur to me that perspective of someone coming to the book about ZZT never having played ZZT about whether or not the book is good for for that person, whether it's informative. I mean, I think if I had known nothing about it, it would have been slightly different, right? Because it didn't have like screenshots, right? Really. It just had kind of textual description, yeah, right? They're they're not the the way that she lays it out. Like it it's it's easy enough to conceptualize you know basically what it did but it is sort of like you know i mean the book was sort of about the phenomenon in retrospect and what it meant for games as a whole whereas that's pretty different from the experience of like playing it back in the day and getting like floppy disks or downloading things off bbs's you know i mean i guess that's true of like most most of the time when you write about a retro game you're writing about another time and place when you had to go to a store and or like download something off of a bbs it's just yeah it's 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 really different than the now, but that's like, yeah, I mean, that, that book is kind of about the, the, the sort of like community involvement that sprung up around it. And, and like it, its position as really like shareware's position as a proto indie space. Right. Cause it was like him, him building it and like his dad 
like to this day still answers the mail when <laughs> yep. people register it <laughs> yep. and stuff yeah. like it's it it's I don't know, a super good book yeah before we move on from place geek i want to um as exclusively revealed in uh jp's patreon newsletter <laughs> um i am using place geek extensively in the making of frog fractions too yeah i was gonna ask but i didn't know if that would be too it's uh it's it's out there it's public knowledge okay. there you go yeah yeah somebody picked up on it i think yeah yeah somebody somebody commented on it when i when i put up that update yeah so yeah so, so i guess that means you know python look for <laughs> look for games using uh ascii sprites yeah anytime uh-huh. you see a game made in playski it's probably <laughs> yeah. frog fractions too yeah <laughs> if there's an anime ascii game up on steam there it is. What would it mean for it to be an anime ASCII game? Like just the eyes make... are much larger, <laughs> so that all the eyes are capital. Right. It uses an, yeah, it uses an uppercase O instead of a instead of a uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean that, that's that's one thing about the ASCII art stuff is that like you know NetHack and ZZT and this whole tradition of ASCII games they only use like one character per. Well, this this is where the words are annoying to use because <laughs> per character you know, one one game slash fictional character versus one ASCII character, i.e., glyph of text or whatever. Um, you know, like in ZZT and and NetHack and well, in ZZT, you're the you're the little smiley face from IBM Code Page four thirty seven, and then in NetHack, you're the at sign. But um, but yeah, like you can have obviously like all the all the all the old like uh, demo scrollers and stuff like that, you know, would would have like multi would have like these big lush tapestries made of ASCII characters that you know people who are like skilled with paint programs like painted. Um, and I wanted to support that kind of stuff, you know. And people have done that kind of that kind of stuff, like I posted on the on the PlaySkey Tumblr. But uh, yeah, so you know, you could make a game that, and, and in fact, like that's like my my big longer term project that that I've got going does is like multi multiple tiles per character, basically. And so you can have like you know something of relatively high visual sophistication within that weird aesthetic. Yeah, like a big boss fight where the boss took up most of the screen, but was still only like 30 by 30. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You kind of grew up in the same tech and game culture as Jim and I. And and Kevin, too, I guess, right? I mean, like the, the sort of... Although I feel like... Kevin, were you like... BBS guy oh, yeah. much? Oh. Why yeah. have we never talked about this? For years, like all of high school basically. I'd, I would leave my computer on, plugged into the BBS overnight, and then <laughs> get up in the morning and find out that all my wares downloads had failed or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess Worst. I did know about I guess I did know about your trade wars habit. Yeah. I don't know why I just oh, yeah. spaced that, you know. I spaced it. <laughs> I still have the T-shirt from the old BBS that I hung out on Whoa. here somewhere. Nice. I actually never did BBS. Like, so my I never had a com- the first time I had a computer with a modem in it was uh, college actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all through like you know I, like I had com- I was using computers from like age four roughly, but I never had like an an online an, an, an internet connected computer. Uh, my dad had, a, you know, an internet connected machine and then like a couple of friends in the neighborhood had them. So I remember riding my bike home from a friend's house, like a mile or so away with some floppy, di- with some, with, 
however many it took, but like however many floppy disks uh, Wolfenstein 3D shareware fit like zipped it, it across took. zipped across floppies yeah 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 spanned all, across floppies all yeah. of which had to work yeah in order exactly. for you to unzip it right it was always like yeah invariably was, not all of which yeah i was worked. riding over like dusty texas roads like <clears throat> and then i would get home and like stick them all in and install it and hope that it hope that it all worked but yeah that was how that ended up being my conduit into like so many games you know it's just like trading things around on floppies um and then a little later i guess like using my dad's internet connection to download a doom level editor uh yeah but yeah, it wasn't so bad. I would have just downloaded like Anarchist Cookbook and, right. you know, cracks for various things or whatever, just like anybody else. Yeah, I didn't find any of that stuff until college. Like that, those sort of like subversive text file things didn't, things. yeah, <laughs> that subversive text file yeah. culture didn't really make it to the small northern Arizona town where my BBS is <laughs> right. Were. Oddly enough, I discovered uh, Jason Scott's website, textfiles.com, mm-hmm. very shortly after the period in my life where I was actually calling BBSs. Mm. Nice. So, yeah. way more experience looking at uh, stuff like that from from that website than from actual, downloaded from actual, over, over actual modem lines. Right. Did you, it's a treasure. Did you participate in any of the community aspects of bulletin boards at all? Like the forum threads and that kind of thing a little bit i mean it was mostly just the door games that were my my the town that i grew up in didn't have it only had one multi-line bbs like everything else was just one line at a time so it was like participating in the community was just getting mad when there was a busy signal so it was a very like antagonistic way to experience other people uh the one that did have multiple lines didn't it it was a major bbs so it didn't have the same sort of game development scene as World War Four, mm. the World War Four software had. So like it didn't, you couldn't play Trade Wars on it. There was Mutants, which comes up every once in a while, which was just basically a mud. But their version of Mutants was like hacked so that every thing gave you like max int currency so <laughs> it was not any fun at all <laughs> like it was just like some hack that the guy had installed to like cheat at some multi bbs tournament that had happened years before <laughs> i got there and then just left it ruined so that, that sort of that sort of lives on in going onto a pub server for a, for an online game like team fortress 2 or something and finding that everybody has that that server has a bunch of annoying mods enabled or I, actually, I haven't. I mean, I haven't played DF two in a really long time. But you know, that was for the longest time last decade ish when you know public servers were the mainstay. You would go on there and be like, "Why do they have the Bruce Campbell wave pack installed for all of the the taunt voices?" I don't know. That's yeah. That, it's weird that that's that stuff, in turn is equate is that, that stuff would be now. like server side too. You know, like the yeah 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 you. You could just connect to a Quake server and it would just download, including like executable code. Oh, yeah. Which is yeah, weird. It was byte sure. code. It was like in a sandbox. It's, yeah, that's still yeah. super weird. Yeah, Quake 1 was Quake C and then, uh, yeah. Yeah. You mean because C is the Roman numeral for one? <laughs> Quake 100. Uh, yeah. All right, guys. There are some important developments in uh, listeners' mail. I got multiple copies of the same Markov chain porn story which is being delivered to us for no reason that i can see but there are i'm going to read a sentence at a time of multiple posts so we can start to understand the underlying algorithms okay gone there kept the donation about the kitchen table 
gone there, still left the contribution about the kitchen table, went there, kept the donation about the desk. So I think that this is where maybe the (laughs) guy shows up at where a prostitute is and leaves the money on the table. And it is just Uh, replacing words and phrases with thesaurus calls. That sounds more like a Mad Lib than a... um the actual Markov chain. We started kissing each other, kissing her lips for five min, along with the going to ears and neck. Okay. We began kissing each other, kissing her mouth for five spelled out in minutes, along with the heading on to ears and neck. We began kissing the other person, kissing her. See, that's a different story entirely. Yeah. Kissing her lips for five min, along with the heading to ears and neck. Um, so, so then it gets into a weird thing that makes me think it's actually doing some sort of thesaurus API call. She started out gradually rubbing mine, and then I remove I removed my garments and her top rated. So I think. <laughs> so then also right later on he says removed my outfit and her best, and then <laughs> after which I eliminated my garments and her best. So I think it was just top rated was a synonym for top and yeah. he's talking about taking off her top right here's a curious so you can probably reconstruct the original yeah just by story, looking at the words right. that it has in common uh, yeah i mean i should be keeping yeah, these yeah. so then there's a few of this form but this is the this is the most interesting one i invested a couple of hours with her we began lfk then dfk <laughs> and then i did some serious fiv and d-a-t-y <laughs> I feel square right now. Yeah, I don't know what any of those acronyms are. <laughs> See, I wasn't on BBSs. You know, I wasn't finding out about all this. Looking for kink? LFK, yeah. Down, down for kink? Yep. We began looking for kink. Then we were down for kink. Then did some serious FIV, which I'm not going to speculate on. <laughs> uh, but then there is a link to... Oh, an actual link for uh, once. Uh, uh, an escort service in Baltimore. Okay. Good Top job. Notch targeting. You finally, you Top finally notch got, targeting. We <laughs> are, his algorithms will we, soon take over. We are a your, podcast full of uh, business travelers. <laughs> is your corporation, are you incorporated in Baltimore or? Nope. Like, is your co location facility in Baltimore? Nope. Have any of us <laughs> ever been to Baltimore? <laughs> so, the, and then there's one more that was part of the same thing, which is shorter than the others, doesn't cut off mid sentence. Usually, we move into numerous jobs in which I enjoy her jaws and hands and wrists, constantly stopping inside a fantastic fulfillment. Various jobs. That's am- numerous jobs. Numerous. We jobs. went into numerous jobs in which I, I enjoy mean, her jaws and hands and wrists. There positions, are multiple jobs, I guess. Positions or jobs. Jobs. Oh or positions. yeah. Uh huh. So. Oh man. It's well, a, yeah, because I was like I was going like you know jobs like yeah. Yo, yeah, yeah, this it, is, it is. This it's, is a good game. Th- <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a game, and somebody has been playing it with you, and you just haven't yeah, been. Yeah, we're just we're being we're are. being argued here. This reminds me a lot of the uh, the crossword puzzle that somebody made from. There was a company that leaked a bunch of pe- password security questions. Okay. Uh, actually, no, they leaked the passwords as well. Um. Or, or they were just unsalted hashes, something like that. But someone made a crossword puzzle out of, like, <laughs> all the security questions for a given password. Like, they gave you, like, ten people with the same password to give you all their security questions. Rather, not security questions, but, like, password the hints. Reminders? Uh, reminders, yeah. The reminders, yeah. And you had to figure out what the password was based on those reminders. That takes some skill to put together a crossword out of just arbitrary it, stuff like that. It was it was not it was it was fun. Were there uh, numbers and punctuation in it and stuff? No, I mean, it was it was almost yeah, all rough, 
Yeah, it was almost all just, just words. Get rid of the word password. They were all bad, just, were all bad passwords. Yeah. One, two, three, right. four, five, six. Like, uh, like sport team names was very common, that hmm. sort of thing. Hmm. Um, Industrial Punk writes, speaking of which, hi guys, have you checked out our subreddit simulator on Reddit? It's an entire subreddit populated by Markov chain bots, each of which has learned from one particular subreddit. It's pretty great to see what these bots sometimes throw together when it's not just word salad. I've subscribed to it because it's a fun mindfuck when one of these posts floats to the front page and you read, Circuit City is planning a terrorist organization in Syria. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, slash r slash subreddit simulator, which I'll toss in the show notes if I think about it. Um... Uh, Fiber 34 asked if we saw the uh, very long giant bomb talk with uh, Jonathan Blow about the witness. Um, it's real good. I, I will link to that in the show notes, too. Yeah, it's just uh, Jeff Gersman and Brad Shoemaker just sitting on a couch playing the witness. I think Brad is just playing the witness kind of absentmindedly with John Blow there. They make him they make him do the speed challenge at the oh, end. Nice. Oh, good. <laughs> See if he can beat it. And he, he does. He beats it. Yeah. He, he doesn't stop. He doesn't finish it because that would give Brad the platinum trophy on the game. And he didn't want to do that for me. It's, it's really neat. It's like, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Kevin has just been telling everyone who will listen how bad the witness is. Yeah. You just soured on it so hard. I did. We'll get to, we'll get to it. Okay. Baromets wrote, listening approximately backwards through video games, hot dog. I just ran into a discussion about the witness from last September. Here's my question. What's the wrongest you've ever been? <laughs> um, <laughs> And it was basically Jim, you and I predicting that the witness would not make its money back. Oh yeah, I really did not think it yeah, would. I didn't think it would either. I'm really pleasantly surprised that it. How'd did. you figure? It, Cerebral puzzle game. It, just that it was mostly just, that it cost too much and that nobody was talking about it or cared about it. It's, it's after kind of so many years. Falling off the zeitgeist real fast. Everything kind of does tell. though at this point, right? I, uh, I mean. Yeah, maybe. It was really just that it was so expensive and... Expensive to make, you mean? Expensive to make, yes. Yeah, no, the... the we didn't also know what the price point would buy, be. buy, lazy devs. Yeah, we, we had no idea what the price was going to be at the time, so that was not relevant to the conversation. Well, that's also not, I mean, that's not, no, 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 that's I not know. why I was wrong. I mean, it just proved to be an order of magnitude more popular than I expected it to be, I guess. Right, yeah, it, it was... I I think what I said at the time was that I couldn't think of any... Um, indies who had been successful twice. Um, <laughs> right. And like so much of that is luck and being huh. in the right place at the right time. Um, I think someone then brought up, um, Super Meat Boy and the Binding of Isaac. Yeah. 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 I don't know. There, yeah. There's examples. And I mean, there's people who, you know, do, who have a string of lower key successes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think there is a huge market of people who are really excited about games like Gone Home and The Witness and Firewatch or whatever, which are so much more accessible in a lot of ways than other shoot, titles that shoot are out there. Dudes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And those people are kind of hungry for content. And the fact that they see a, like they read about it in The New Yorker or something is is where those people are are sitting. They're not gonna find it because it's on Steam. They're gonna find it because there's, you know, articles about it or there's like a news report well, or I think, something. I think the witness stands apart from the like short form shorter form narrative games like like Firewatch and stuff. Uh just cause I mean puzzles like being as puzzle centric as the wit entirely puzzle centric is kind of a rare thing. You know, I mean there aren't that many games that come out that really, you know, focus that much on it. Um Whereas those other games are, are like saying, no, no, no. I mean, this is entirely about any game mechanics that are here are in entirely in service of the narrative. 
Um, whereas the witness, you know, I mean, it was kind of the other way around. Um, I, I think it's relatively unique and I, I agree that that makes its, its success like kind of hard to predict, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know what the, the, the market is for like, like plenty of people do puzzles, right? Like plenty of people do crosswords. And I think the witness got enough mainstream media coverage, you know, like sort of like the, the New Yorker or whatever being like, Oh, check this guy out. He's like a legit art dude or whatever. <laughs> um, and being like, and then, and then they see the game and it's like, Oh, this looks kind of inviting and not like, you know, gritty splatterfest, violent Twitch thing. Um, and I don't know. It, yeah. It holds I, your hand. I feel like it, it leads you through how to, yeah, to like play it's, it, so. yeah, it's, it's, it's approachable in, despite having a pretty, you know, hands-off puzzle learning aesthetic and stuff. We it's were talking, I, mean, the, I don't know, yeah. The New like, Yorker article about Firewatch was about Ollie Moss, and the right. New Yorker article about The Witness <clears throat> was about John Blow, which is, is interesting, right? Because they, they played very, very different roles in what their respective games were, but were maybe yeah. just like the crunchiest, like, Personality to yeah the best, latch on to the best story for a story that, yeah like, yeah the yeah that's and that's a bummer in in the latter case I we think. were talking about this last week about how the witness having first person shooter controls uh, makes it kind of inaccessible for non gamers yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah and I was wondering I know that uh, they're talking about having like a tap to move uh, interface in the iPad version yep and I'm wondering yeah. whether like that Having like mist style movement would uh, open up Move, that uh, nodes, huh? Maybe not. Yeah, Just maybe not. To move on the ground, you know. That yeah. nodes would never work. Although for yeah, the witness, they, yeah, you need to be able to adjust your position in a very fine grained way. That would right. actually potentially solve one of my major complaints about it, though. Like, well, I, that, by by removing one of the kinds of puzzles. Well, but not it wouldn't remove it. It would <laughs> just making making the possibility space for it. Much smaller. orders of magnitude smaller. Yeah, I mean, I would have. Yeah, certainly I remember. Li- I remember that discussion you guys had about that. I yeah. would have certainly liked yeah. that possibility space to be smaller. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, but then I just decided that I wasn't going to do that. I just wasn't going to play yeah. that. You know, the you know what what I'm sure, you know, just based on watching this video of him saying this is the real game. Like the the panel puzzles are just in service of. The real game, which is the environmental yeah. puzzles. Wow, is that what he said? Did yeah. he say that? Because I feel like that's not true at all, and it's demonstrably not true because those environmental puzzles are the only thing that there's no achievement for. Well, right, but I mean that's 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 the Zen half of it, right? That's like the transcendental, less quantifiable outcome side of the whole game, which I I think you know by virtue of kind of feeling transcendental. Is sort of sort of feels like the ulterior and actually highest mm. point that it's making. He should have removed know. the fucking pillars then. <laughs> like, if find find them in the environment when you find them and have those moments of joy instead of <laughs> instead being of confronted putting with a the fact che- that, putting a checklist in the yeah, environment. Like yeah, that that just I mean, ruins the whole thing. Ah, boy, you hate it. Well, it's <laughs> yes, it like it like it it <clears throat> goes against so much of what I understood his philosophy about games to be. The, the notion that you respect the player's time, you don't make them do repetitive things. Like, all of those environmental puzzles boil down to... Figure out where to stand. Figure out where to stand. Uh, like, f- find the, like, pattern, you know? Like, you never see, like, little triangles on the trees, right? Where you have to, like, 
touch a certain number of sides of the triangle. Yeah, there's or- never there's never any of the puzzle symbols in any of the environmental puzzles. Right. I mean, the thing is, all of those things that you believe are true about his design sensibilities based on braid are true in the panel puzzles. Oh, yeah. They do not exactly. they never have you do the same thing twice in a panel puzzle. Sure. And and that's and they never and have that's you do the same thing twice in a, hear him in a, say that that's not the real game. Well, I mean, I you know, I, I guess maybe he would have also said that the stars were the real game in braid. Wow, but, but I think he specifically didn't say that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, also throwaway comment. A, th- a thing is yeah. yeah, rarely about what somebody says it's about. I sure. Mean, they're either being flip or having to reduce harmfully, you know, for yeah. the purposes of of a quote. Kevin, you <laughs> should story. watch this. You should watch this video. Yeah, it's no, like, I, I, like I, it's, it's like <clears throat> almost two hours long, but I just like sat and watched the whole thing. It was really wow. good. Yeah, I do like the idea of um, like I don't know. I mean, it does feel like a pretty well explored space, but uh, I think it would be cool if we put a little more research, uh, just in jam games and stuff, into alternate first person movement modes hmm. you know um like i think you know like just getting like figuring out what works and what doesn't about tap to move or just something you know i don't know i mean arguably like the evolution that we had from the early 90s before circle strafing onto the pc wasdy sort of thing but um i don't know cuz i feel like i feel like first person first person games started hardcore and then they kind of gradually got more accessible last decade. Um, but I think it's kind of valuable, you know, like I think a lot more people find first person, like being in a world in first person compelling than can engage with the like WASD or dual or dual stick sort oh, yeah. of thing, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's actually like probably it's, the biggest thing holding back a lot of different kinds of games. We saw a whole um, lot of experimentation before, I think it was id Software with Wolfenstein 3D hit on the idea of locking your reticle to the center of the screen yes yeah that's true right there was that whole idea like you know i think jurassic park trespasser tried it because it tried everything uh of like yeah your reticle is decoupled from the center of the screen and you see your gun arm sort of moving around and there's like a cursor that there's like a crosshair that tracks into the world i mean that's just for shooting specifically but like even just navigation you know like i, I booted up system truck one for reasons the other day and it has like a whole, I mean, it's got like the super clunky, like, you, you know, you can look up and down through its weird cyber HUD thing. It's also got like the, the crouch grid where you can like, you see a little person up in the top left and you can click on it to like lean left and right and like crouch and lean and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. It's like, like a first person controller that controls like the original XCOM. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, it, it, yeah, actually it feels like that level of UI complexity and it's just sort of like, what are all the player capabilities? Boom. Every single one of those is a button on the HUD. Go for it. PC gaming, 1993. It's like, uh, I think you can can make the argument. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Break out your quick reference card. And it was like a Commodore 64 game called barbarian or something like that. Oh yeah. It was the same Mm -hmm. thing. It was just, it was a mouse driven game. And instead of, well, I'm thinking of a game that was mouse driven. I would have played it with an epics joystick perhaps. Well, I'm thinking of a game. I think it was called barbarian, but I could be wrong where instead of, you know, pushing the joystick right to move right, you would use the mouse to click on the button with the right arrow on it. Uh, (laughs) And then in order to attack, you click on the button that says attack. And like the bottom third of the screen is like this, all the kind of actions you can do. All these arrows. They were were laying it out for a potential future iPad port. (laughs) There were definitely some Amiga and ST era games that did that. You know, they were like PC developer, like, well, home computer developers who just took that brute force approach to 
providing controls. Um, I mean, like I had the beholder had the on-screen controls, right? So you could play it just yep. by clicking with yep. the mouse. And so did like a lot of those first person gridlocked, uh, yeah. yeah. RPGs, but there were always keyboard shortcuts bound to yeah. those right. that yeah. you could, if, if it happened to support right click, you could often right click the thing to see what keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, yeah. You had um, so many input options. You know, you had, you had like a hundred and one key keyboard, and then a mouse, usually with like two or three buttons on it. So a lot of control schemes of that era, like you get the keyboard over. Even the good ones, like, you know, would just sort of like spread out, like luxuriating on a on a on a large sofa. I think the argument know, can be made input. that for something with as simple and as limited an interaction paradigm as your 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 gone homes and your the witness maybe not firewatch because firewatch has like firewatch sort of starts to use the hot bar for certain abilities and stuff right and like yeah we like you know jim i know you were talking about being kind of frustrated by the pc <clears throat> controls right with a firewatch? Of firewatch yeah just, oh. just like the using the radio while moving around being awkward and, and yeah, yeah, but not the but not the first person shooter stuff. It was specifically like the, the stuff the stuff past that. But that yeah. I mean that, that kind yes. of that kind of feeds into my point, which is that I think you could argue that what should happen is just an effort, not even an effort. Like people were intimidated by a mouse to begin with, but a mouse is a pretty good like. UI device. So we just kind of expected people to learn to use a mouse and they did because it was cool. And I think that like, if somebody wants to learn to play, if somebody wants to play gone home, like them having to spend some time learning WASD and mouse is not the end of the world. Right. Like, because then they can just use this thing. That's already good. Yeah. As opposed to having to like, like the, the right tool for the job is not always the tool that a novice. Yeah. If they want to learn for them playing it on, uh, you know, cause like gone homes on, on all the consoles. consoles, Yeah. Boy, me too. Cause that's, I mean, I always attribute that to me just not having any literacy with it because I never learned to use it. I don't know. Like, yeah. Like dual stick aiming has always like, I'm now roughly equally good with it. You know? Um, I mean, modulo the just sort of inherent, better precision you get with mouse and keyboard, but that only matters for certain kinds of shooters. But um, yeah, like I feel like it's kind of worse, like, you know, a platform that maybe has a larger install base in some cases, like you end up having a a console controller for this like first person narrative experience. And like, I don't know, I I wish we had like, I don't know, I've thought about this so much, like, you know, like last decade, there was like this sort of you know, Nintendo tried motion control. And initially it seemed like that was going to be, oh, cool. This is how consoles cross the mouse precision gap by just having, you know, but then I played like Metroid Prime 3 and it's like, yes, yeah. the Wii remote is a pretty good pointer, but just the, like, the the, the kinesthetics of it and like the, the sort of like uh, ergonomics, you know, are like, wow, it like holding your, your hand out you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, it takes some endurance. Gets tiring after a while, you know. Um, and I, th- I think Metroid Prime makes a really good reference here. The first one, or or the the GameCube ones, because they put looking lock on aiming. Yeah, well, the lock aiming and also like turning and moving on this, moving forward and mm-hmm. back on the same yeah. stick. Yeah, yeah, left and right were, were and, yaw instead of uh, right. strafe. And which I th- was which was huge. Yeah, th- that's super. I think it's much simpler for most people to pick up yeah, a yeah. single and, and, no, and that's, that's why that's why retro slash Nintendo did that. You know, they right. were really worried about they were like, this is the first this is one of the first first person shooter experiences you've had on this on the GameCube. 
um, yeah, they were, they were really mindful of that. And I think something like a gone home, it's probably not like the, the right stick meaning where you have this, this pixel perfect precision of where you're looking is really not particularly necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, uh, and I actually haven't played gone home on consoles, but I would, I think it would have done well to have an option or maybe even the defaults be, um, for new players. Yeah. Be, left, uh, right, yaw. Yeah. And then right stick is just up and down, maybe like only the Y axis on the right stick registers. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's like really, you know, you can even just like use a third party program and like try that kind of stuff out. Sure. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah, I would be curious. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, or design the environments in such a way that looking up and down isn't important. Which it's in, in, in that game specific, like it's like you do more looking up and down in Firewatch, I would say, by a pretty big margin. Yeah. Just because you, you do I, I wanna, stuff. I want to just say that having played uh, Metroid Prime and then played it again in the, the Wii remake, the Wii. Um, yeah. I think Metroid that's. Metroid Prime trilogy for, for Wii. Yeah. I think yeah. that's. It, it, the, the GameCube version controls way better. Like it just yeah yeah I never, yeah I would say I never so. Played the GameCube version, but I felt the Wii version controlled really well. Yeah, oh, well that's interesting. I would I would I don't know if you want to go back and check out the. Uh, yeah, it wasn't bad, but um, I mean I think the main thing the main thing is just that the all the encounters in Prime One and Two were designed entirely around. Uh, the, the play, like the player's yaw speed, you know, right. like when you have that kind of a constant, it's like, okay, yeah, like we're locking this so that we can tune like how, when, if enemies dodge out of the way that we know how much is a safe, is a, is like a reasonable distance for them to do that. Right. Um, so yeah, like, and I think, um, yeah, and just the whole notion of lock on stuff, you know, I mean, they, they, they carried that over into the Wii stuff, I guess. And it just, you know, I mean, it's just like Zelda Z targeting or whatever. Wasn't, but, um, wasn't like Nick Brecken talking about his mother finished Metroid prime, but couldn't maneuver in the witness. Hmm. That sounds like Some, something, like, something like that. Like I like yeah. there, there is, there is just just enough of a difference there that like somebody could could handle one but not the other. That's I mean I guess she might have like because she played a tremendous amount of Skyrim. Yeah, she's Skyrim, right? Mom. She's yeah. at Skyrim Mom on yeah, Twitter. So okay. I wonder if that's I wonder if that's two two different stories. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's also a big shame that uh, touchscreens did not end up being like just as good as. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, at doing, you know, basically first person movement, you know, like you, you have obviously a very high quality pointing input, um, and you have like gestures and stuff, which are cool, but it didn't quite fill that niche of, um, now, I mean, tablet, yeah, you can certainly do like the, the tap to move and then like from a fixed location, like just drag on the screen to pan around, um, which still doesn't feel great compared to, you know, using a mouse or, or, or even kind of an analog stick if you're, if your thumbs are, you know, but, um, I, I don't know. Like, touchscreens didn't end up like obviating a bunch of design problems. And I think maybe the way that people thought they, they would, uh, I mean, I think Nintendo got in that early, you know, I think Nintendo was hoping like by the time they launched the Wii that the DS would have sort of like been the most superior, 
kind of like input situation for a handheld and that the Wii was the most superior, like versatile input situation for a console. And that just ended up demon- being demonstrably not true. You know, like right. the DS ended up being kind of, like a game on the top screen and then a thing that you would be using yeah. on your computer as yeah, a supporting yeah. app. And if it's like an admin heavy game, screen, like an like, RPG, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, well, actually the touchscreen is like pretty darn useful for like moving little items around on my character's inventory. But it wasn't it didn't turn into like this entire new genres are possible kind of thing. I mean, it, I don't know. Like, yeah, the genre, there were no genres made possible by the DS that weren't already possible with mouse and keyboard. Basically. Um, they just had a new platform to go to, which is why you saw like, I think like a civilization port or something. They certainly were trying a bunch of stuff. They were, I know. Yeah. That was, that was a beautiful era. Yeah. Like Kirby, uh, what was it called? Uh, Kirby canvas curse. Right. Yeah. That was great. That was, that was fantastic. Yeah. But I remember also, um, playing the Mario 64 port to the DS. Which, oh, that was, yeah. Like, with the, with the thumb little yeah, it, like, strap. The, the, the console came with this little nub that you would uh-huh, attach to the tip yep. of your thumb. I, I still have that that strap I've transferred. Everybody still has that strap. Hardware, yeah. <laughs> and they used it for that, maybe, and well, Metroid it, Prime Hunters. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember trying to play Mario 60. Like, I'm a huge fan of the controls on the N64 oh, from yeah, Mario yeah. 64. And it, there's no good experience no, on the not, DS. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. It just and doesn't. I, I, I want, like, I actually like most of the changes they made to that game. I think like the design yeah. changes were really good. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've had this like, if I have, if I had an, like an extra week of my life, I would like look into hacking a DS emulator to, Translate joystick movement to like okay, touchpad yeah. so control. Play that version on a DS emulator with uh, with an analog st- with yeah. a analog controller. Yeah. All right, because the DS yeah. it, w- it wasn't until the 3DS that they started using an analog joystick on the. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm. Well, have you guys been playing any video games other than the ones we've been talking about, and and also other than all Doom? those video games I played ten years ago. So no, yeah, I've no. not played a video game in the last ten years. Oh man, um, despite shipping, you didn't even seven? test your own games. Uh, yeah, nope. Just, <laughs> just check it into check it into source control. No Go look. home. Let's, That's the the let's, blind firing of game development. I'll let QA handle it. I've been doing a lot of cryptic crosswords. I don't know if that counts. Yeah, me too. That that yeah. app you uh, you had me download is it, it has a lot of crypt- has a lot, a lot of, a lot of cryptic crosswords in it. <laughs> Did did they start out relatively easy? Did nope. They, no. They're just they're just all kind of hard. They're all British, so you have to keep in mind that there are just words for things that you don't necessarily use. I need one that I need I need an app that puts you into it real gradually, the way the witness does. Word Burger yeah, is kind of that. It ramps. Yeah. Word Burger ramps up. But yeah, these are. I don't know. You do a couple. Do a couple with a friend and. It'll it'll warm up to you and then the British friend, uh, well, or just any friend, so that you have like multiple points of view. <laughs> I'm gonna need a British co-op buddy. It, on yes, this. yeah, yeah. I downloaded another app by that those same people called Code Words, which is a a kind of puzzle that I had not ever seen before, and that I think would only really be possible on a computer. Is it a or new on a phone? Game? I don't know. Because it'd be funny if they were trying to. Uh, Capitalize on the popularity popularity of Vlada Chivatil's code words. Yeah, <laughs> so that's code names. Code names. Oh, yeah. right. Um, so it is it is a crossword grid like a cryptic crossword in that there's not like there's not like cluster right there intersections at least a letter apart, but there's no clues, 
and it's just kind of hangman style. Like it starts, it'll, a puzzle will start out with like all the C's and all the O's hmm. filled in for you. And it's like, you'll see one that's like COO blank. And then if you're like, Oh, I wonder if that's cool. And then if you put an L in there. It puts an L into everywhere, every cell that shares a letter with that cell. So then you can like look around and see, all right, does that make sense in this oh, context? Huh, okay. Does that make sense over here? And so it's like sort of gradually solving Process for of elimination, different things like, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, they're either really easy or really hard. Mm. It seems so right. it's like, it's, it's kind of either like impossible or just a task yeah. to perform, but it's like, it's kind of a, it's different more puzzle mindless. mechanics are different, like have different like grades of difficulty to design for like that, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it's like, oh, sometimes there's a real coarse granularity or, or relies so much on a particular insight from the yeah. player that if you don't have that insight, you make zero progress. If you do have that insight, you make a hundred percent progress. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I played about an hour of the flame and the flood, which came out. I think it came out today or yesterday. Um, Is this about the great molasses flood? That's the studio. That's the studio. Oh, yeah. Molasses yeah. flood because Boston. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, it is, uh, man, I, it feels like they, they took a game where they fixed my second least favorite thing about don't starve, which was the aesthetics uh-huh. and fixed that. But then they took my least favorite thing about don't starve, which was the mechanics and just <laughs> kind of just ported it. Because my first game was, like, completely not fun until I got killed by wolves because every single thing in the crafting system is predicated on you having some flint to make your initial tool, and I never found any flint. Again? Yes. You are some sort of like Some sort of weird, like, (laughs) proc-gen algorithms refuse to yield flint the first time when they run in my presence. It's like Wi-Fi. It's real pretty. It's, it is not appreciably like Kentucky Route Zero, but you could see why someone would compare it to Kentucky Route Zero. Hmm. And I imagine that it is good in the same way that I believe people when they tell me that Don't Starve is good. But it is very, very similar to Don't Starve uh, in terms of like it's, it's crafting and like meters management and stuff. But it's like you're sort of in this world where you don't know whether there's anybody else alive or not. And it's flooded and you're going down a river, which maybe used to be a road or a valley or something. And so there's this kind of like real time rafting sections in between, like stopping at various then procedurally generated areas that are like, well, this is a farm. So there's going to be a lot of food, but probably wild animals. Or this is wilderness. So there's mm-hmm. going to be like scarce artificial resources, like just, you know, like these different sort of sliders on that. Mm-hmm. It, I want to give it another shot because I don't want that like sour experience of just bad random generation to right. make me without abandon flint, something that I might the flint, really you're like playing just the flood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is there going to be any uh, flame? In this? You do. Uh, there are, there are, what kind of rock do you use to create a flood? Uh, the one in the middle of the dam. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. The rock that Moses refused to speak to. Yeah, Book the, of Exodus deep cuts. <laughs> I don't Good. know. <laughs> but that was it. I played uh, Brothers. Oh. A Tale of Two Sons? Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. I think there were two of them. Uh, this is a, a game that's sort of a... It, it's a narrative-driven puzzle game 
where you control two avatars, one with each joystick, and each one also has a button to interact with the world around them. Um, and they're trying to, they're, they're going on this, uh, Norse mythology inspired journey, um, to save their father from who is ill. And this is, this is a game that is very, in many places is very delightful. Um, but also like it, it's, it's, it's trying to be a story, but so much of what happens just feels completely unmotivated. And by which I mean, like, so for example, there's a sequence where, uh, you, you reach, uh, a, you reach a, a, a building and one of the sons, one of the brothers finds a rope on the ground and in a cutscene, just like, okay, we'll, I'll tie one end of this rope to me and one end of this rope to the other brother. And then you go through the sequence of puzzles where you need, um, you both need the rope to progress and are, and are restricted in way, in, are limited by it, yes. Hmm. Um, but the player is not like made aware that like these puzzles are coming up and the brother has no reason to expect that they would be coming up. He just decides to do this. And then after that sequence of puzzles, he just, in a cutscene, takes the rope off, and then there are no more puzzles like that. <laughs> right. Uh, and in fact, like, the last puzzle is is just one about being limited by the rope, so, like, that puzzle wouldn't exist if they had taken <laughs> the rope off a few minutes earlier. Um, And the whole game is kind of like that, where uh, it's just a sequence of... It's very episodic. It's very, like, a sequence of stuff that happens... Mm. With no real sense of... The one where they are tied together by a rope. Yeah. The with no real sense of, like, wh what... one where they get locked into a walk-in freezer, and it's just a bunch of short clips of previous puzzles the that the they solved episode. <laughs> yeah. previous episodes. Yeah, the clip show. Right. Yeah. Um, Riker's in a coma. No real sense of, like, how close you are to, you know, your goal until you literally see the goal in front of you. Hmm. Um, but the individual episodes are really delightful. Hmm. I really enjoyed them. Yeah, I heard good things about it. And I heard that, like, yeah, the story, you know, is is sort of charming and interesting. But, yeah. And that it's got good, like, sort of uh, controls to emotions hooks. Yes, um, I, I can vouch for that. How long is the... I feel like this is a thing that I would really like to experience. It's about in an four hour, hours, probably. Four hours. Yeah, yeah, I think that's sorry. longer. Yeah. How long is Alien Isolation? <laughs> like 30... Okay. Can you get it down to two? Me? Yeah. No. Okay. There, there is that mod that removes the alien. Uh, That's which, which sounds. Uh, I, I would, I would like, a, like, so I only saw like an hour or two of that game, but so you saw the like you saw the good hour then. Yeah. Well, and it sounded like removing the humans, like removing everything but the alien, might have been a stronger like removing the uh, player. Ag I don't know. Agreed. Like that spaceship. If that game had just been... Yeah, take out the spaceships. If that it game had just been the opening, the, the load screen yeah. for Mario 64, but it was just the Xenomorph, and you just had a mouse cursor Hello. where you could deform you parts of his and, face. Stretch its yeah. adorable Just pull visage. the tongue in and out. <laughs> yeah, yep. totally. Oh, man. If that game had been, like, an hour of, you know, of pacing, and then, like... Three hours of dodging the alien. Yeah, fairly with, intense with alien like, dodging. With all the best, like, the highlight, you know, set pieces th that they had right. throughout that 30-hour. Yeah. That, 
I, I that would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be an amazing fucking game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still wonder. I don't know. I mean, it like the economics of trip these AAA games. You know, like they're like, well, we've got this studio with this many people. And like, it's not just that, it's not just one thing, you know, it's all these kind of interdependent factors that mean that, you know, in meeting after meeting, they're like, no, it's got to be this long, you know, or we've got the tools that make it very easy. You know, we've got like, we've got a, a prefab, like spaceship mesh set so we can make, and we've got like eight level designers so we can yeah. turn them loose. And yeah, like just whether or not that's, I don't know. And, and you've got different, like different parts of your audience expect different things. Like people our age probably are like, no, four hours would be great. Please <laughs> yeah. no, do that. Yeah. And other people are, may, might be like, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's partly why I don't make those kinds of God, games. Your anymore. length slider that you dreamed up. Oh yeah. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Like, th <laughs> so this is something that like I, at this point, I thought it was in system shock one, but at this point, I'm pretty sure I just dreamed it. The idea that like, it's, it's just, it's a slider in the options and at certain milestones along the slider, like doors just become unlocked right. instead of having yeah. to go find the key, oh, that yeah, sort totally, of thing. Yeah. Or entire like semi-optional plot points just disappear. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. Oh, totally, yeah. misinterpreted no, I mean, what you were talking about, about a length slider. And I thought it was going to be a joke thing where oh, as, yeah. as you, as you move the dot forward on the slider, the slider gets longer. So you can never. <laughs> a slider Zeno Zeno's slider. Oh, that's yeah. really yeah. good. Oh man. Yeah. Zeno's paradox slider. Yeah. Yeah, Rob Yen's <laughs> games also frequently feature a length slider, you know? Yeah. Um, well, no, uh, System Truck 1 does not have a game length slider. However, it does have, it has, um, you remember what System Truck 1's difficulty, like start of game difficulty screen was like? It's amazing. Um, like I'm sure Steve Gainer has, uh, talked about this, espoused this before as well. But, um, it, it's a difficulty screen with four different categories for plot, puzzles, combat and cyberspace because you know it has the whole cyberspace what? element you, you, and then and then plot each, difficulty well yeah so and then each of those uh sections uh you can rate it at zero one two or three because computer programming system shock whatever lol it's base zero um but it's also sort of like i mean that's also incredibly accurate because if you turn plot to zero there will not be any radio or audio logs basically yeah. oh wow like all doors yeah um and so you can turn combat to zero and that means enemies just sit there um and i think like the huh. default is like two where it's like yeah everything's kind of difficult and like whatever um and then on three, like combat on three, obviously, like the enemies just deal extra damage and stuff. And the puzzles are more, the puzzles have this kind of like numerically variable difficulty or something. And I think maybe for if plot difficult, if plot difficulty is maxed, then, uh, at some point later in the game, like Shodan, like sets this timer that's going to like blow up the, the earth and whatever. And the timer is like shorter. So it's just kind of like, or, or it actually does something like it's actually timed instead of like sort of a plot a plot timer. That's incredible. Um, so yeah, it's like, yeah. And so what that means is that you can just go into that game and be like, you know, nowadays you're like, I don't think I really want to play like what looking glass could manage as like good FPS combat circa 1994. Um, and uh, yeah, so you can just turn the combat off and just sort of play it like a weird exploration thing. Yeah. Um, that's that, that reminds me of silent Hill Two. did a similar. Oh yeah. They had the, Combat but you couldn't just take puzzles. the combat out entirely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could just make so it much easier. yeah, no. But my problem with Silent Hill too, like this is actually my main problem with that game was that fighting those creatures, like 
oh, that's the thing I've killed a dozen times. That's not scary anymore. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that, that every horror game struggles with that, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Up until amnesia. Yeah. So what's nice about amnesia is yep. that it doesn't like, ever, it doesn't ever let you eliminate it. You threat. can't kill these things. Yep. The, the willingness yeah. of, um, looking glass to, was it looking glass to, to remove, let the player remove combat mm-hmm. from yep. the game yep. is, that's something you almost never see nowadays, but like that was contemporary with, um, star control too. Yep. Which had right, the, which uh, had the cyborg, the cyborg, yeah, which was yeah, also pilot, like yep. just, Sure. Yeah, we think just play it the, as an adventure game. We think the other parts of the game are good enough to like be make it yeah exactly. compelling. Yeah, that, that that's what they, that's what looking and that's what Looking Glass was saying. They were like, yeah, there's like puzzles you can solve, and then there's like these weird cyberspace sequences. Yeah, and like these levels are like Byzantine. I, I would like. I would things, love to you know, see so. like, modern developers be be that confident. Oh, I know, there yeah, was yeah, that yeah. there was that Bioware woman who just got pilloried by GamerGate. Oh yeah, douches for, for thinking there should be a yeah for suggesting like, hey, what about a combat yeah, thing? Like, you know? Which, despite you know, pretty good evidence that like a lot of people play those games, like you know, mostly for the story. You know, yeah. like everybody's got kind of a different balance of like what they enjoy. It's like, yeah, you know, I like my total enjoyment of this game is probably like you know, one third combat, two thirds story, you know, or vice versa or whatever. Um, I don't know. I mean, like those, those differences exist and like, I don't know, supporting those. If you're going to make a big ass game with like hours of story and hours of combat and puzzles or just whatever, you know, I mean, I think that there's a reasonable argument for that. I mean, stick to your guns authorially if, if, if you, if you, if you feel you gotta, but yeah. This is, so I feel like we've been hovering around something that like I, like I don't know if y'all are familiar with like the game tourism oh thing yeah yeah anyway yeah like on we, we've talked about yeah no bring it up for sure yeah um so I started making like a year or two ago I want I sort of got this itch to replay the original Unreal like Epic's Unreal oh, FPS nice. back in 1998 yeah. um and I was like yeah and I I remember the like not really enjoying the combat that much like if I really want like good retro FPS combat I'm gonna play Doom. Um, but, uh, and so I was like, you know, I, I wrote like unreal, unreal mutators and stuff back in the day. Let me see if I can just like remove the enemies. Um, and it ended up being like really easy because that game was like, you know, one of the first great moddable games and all that. So I just made like this little mod that let me just walk through the game. Um, and then like earlier, like last year, I guess I did like a stream of it. And then I get just kind of like got addicted to like seeing how easy it was to like mod the combat out of these like games that originally did have combat. So I did one for Quake. Uh, I did one for the first two Thief games, which doesn't really remove the enemies. It just like deact, it just makes them completely neutral to you. So you're just and that, that's actually with way better, way more um, compelling from a, yeah, it for, for Thief, it's absolutely the right call. So yeah. good at hiding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, I don't know. And I, I just kind of like got interested in this idea of like taking games that originally did have combat in them and taking the combat out and seeing what was still interesting about it. Um, and I mean, in the case of like actually all of those games, I mean, like Unreal, Quake and Thief, like the level design was like pretty extraordinary, you know, in terms of just like weird stuff it was doing, like this, the sort of dogma of level design hadn't quite settled in 
in it at that point in like the, the, the mid to late nineties. Um, so I, I just found it like an interesting exercise. And so, yeah, like when people bring up stuff like alien isolation and they're like, Oh man, if only I didn't have to like kill so many androids or whatever. It's like, yeah, actually, you know, I mean that game, it sounds like, you know, still wears out its welcome regardless. Uh, so that wouldn't exactly, that wouldn't exactly fix it. But, um, anyway, yeah. So like that page on my website, vectorpoem.com slash tourism, uh, is sort of my repository for different mods. And sometimes it's just a cheat code. Some games you can just like type something into the console or whatever, and then it deactivates the enemies and you can mosey around and be a tourist. But uh, I don't know. It's a weird thing. I enjoy it. We were talking before the show about, and and actually the other night with you, JP, about how badly I want the like four hour, just the good parts version of Tron 2.0 oh, so sure. that I can in yeah. good conscience recommend that somebody play Tron 2.0 because yeah, totally. like yeah. it was such an amazing experience playing it when I was, yeah. when I, you know, when, I mean, when I was a kid, when was you like had the 25 when time. it came out or whatever, but, but like, yeah, when I had the time, when I had the time to dedicate like 20 hours to playing mm-hmm. this like long, really content rich FPS with just a ton of extended like arena fights and stuff in it, which yeah. like, and, and a lot of just like, here's a maze with a key somewhere in it that you got to find, you know, or like, here's like every door has like eight locked bits on it. And you have to find all eight of these bits somewhere in this level to get the door unlocked. And like, there's just so much like padding to it. And what is there in between the padding is so amazing. And you could conceive of, a path through it that didn't require all of that yeah, they time. Yeah, skipped right? over that stuff. They just yeah. skipped over a lot of it, that. It so might like, be real dev work in some it, cases. But, it yeah, it would know. be, right? Because I wouldn't want to get rid of all of the... Like, I wouldn't want to just unlock all the doors, right? But I would right, just want exactly. to make it so, like, yeah, the key is just, like... If there's eight fragments of the key hidden in this level, the first one you find just gives you the key and then points you back to the door. Exactly. Like, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, you still want to, like, edit, you know, you want to edit with, like, a conscious <clears throat> yeah. intention. You know, and so much of what curate. was good about that game was, like, you know, leveling up your weird Tron abilities for combat and That's stuff. Right, so you yeah. don't want to just take out combat. Yeah. And, like... I don't know. There's, there's a lot of just fun stuff to poke around and find there. Like it was one of the, it was one of the first games that I can remember where it just really rewarded exploration with stuff that wasn't necessarily tangible. Yeah. Like there were a lot of, there's just like these cubes everywhere that represent files on whatever system you're in and different colored ones just have different things going on. They all cost the same resource to read them, but some of them are just like little story beats, like just emails from different people. Right, and Tron is such a perfect universe yeah, for that anyway. Like, yeah. Cause you're just, you're physically inside a computer that yeah. exists somewhere in this space, but it just had so many cool conceits in it. Like you, like, all right, for this mission, you have to like have gone into this guy's PDA to get this like passcode that only exists there, but the PDA doesn't have much memory. So you can only equip like a quarter of your power ups, but there's still enemies in there to fight. But then there's like maybe stuff that you're only going to be able to get to if you can jump really high. So like, which of your power ups oh, nice. do you want in here at right. this time? And it was like, just such a neat conceit. Yeah. And, and so like, it just treated, it was better than the movie Tron. Like it was more, it was like more respectful of Tron than Tron actually deserved, which was <laughs> of the digital world metaphor. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. It was just, you know, it was, it was a better Tron movie than Tron legacy was, even though it wasn't a movie. It, it sort of makes sense when you think about it, that like a video game full of like systems is able to better represent the conceit yeah. of this world and also kind of pay off its aesthetic potential. I mean, obviously like comparing a game released in 2003 to a movie released in 1982, like, you know, yeah. that's, those are very different competitive bars, but like, 
Yeah, I mean, but what's you know, neat is I would that hope that video games as a medium would be better at at capitalizing on that idea more fully than yeah, a film. That's true. Not to say that the film doesn't have like wonderful things about it, you know. I mean, like, yeah, like just gorgeous production design and yeah. soundtrack and etc. And great ideas. I just, I just, yeah, think it was kind of boring, actually. Yeah, like, like actual like story and like sort of themes and stuff. I mean, yeah, like it's the kind of thing that now you could probably get like a bunch of people of our generation to like nerd out on it and come up with like some some very interesting rich story ideas in it um yeah, yeah. and i guess like a telltale tron one. series would be Ooh, fun <laughs> yeah like yeah the, the, that said the the graphics were sort of like 2003 era graphics hardware were able to perfectly represent oh, totally, yeah. the world of tron yeah. which i think actually makes that makes that experience one that could stand up aesthetically way more than like a Clive Barker's Undying or even like Deus Ex 1. Absolutely. Like, you yeah. really got to yeah, I mean, Wind Waker. You th- really got to want to play Deus Ex. This is why I say that what Deus Ex 1 looks like. This is why I say that Bubsy 3D is the best looking PlayStation game. <laughs> right, because it, it's 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 level of em, of visual ambition was perfectly suited to the hardware. It not, yeah, it did not. Yeah, it did not shoot for the moon and hit its head on the ceiling of the PlayStation's capabilities. It 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 reached the highest point you could stand on in Bubsy 3D of the PlayStation <laughs> One's visual visual capability space. Right. I think the simplest way to do the the idea of a game. Um, best of excerpt is just like the the one that requires the least amount of engineering is just like, here's a directory full of like save games, save files and also accompanying text files to like, here's what happened. Yeah. Or video clips or video clips. Like, yeah, Yeah. we can catch you up on. Yeah. 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 I was telling you about like, they did that for Anachronox, you know, the Ion Storm Dallas. Oh, this exists. RPG. Uh, well, uh, so after Ion Storm Dallas shut, um, I think, I think it was Jake Hughes, uh, the, the cinematics director for the game. I, I could be crossing the name, the, the names up there, but, um, made a, just basically made a cut of a film cut of the game that included all of the cinematics, but also like enough interstitial gameplay bits to where like, and then you see the party going, exploring this cool new environment and talking to a few people on the street. Cause it also didn't include like every single bit of NPC conversation. Cause that would be like, you know, 30 hours or something, but it was like a nicely yeah. curated by, by people who knew the game better than anybody else. It was sort of like, let's take this experience that, um, you know, and basically like skip what it ends up, what it ends up doing is like skipping over the JRPG combat stuff, you know, and just kind of keeping, you know, and there's, it does show combat briefly. Like, you know, it'll show combat every now and again to show like cool new powers that the characters are getting, but only very briefly, like in kind yeah. of like a trailer length sort of thing. And it ends up being like a really nice, like distilled form for the game. Like it's a nice little legacy for the game. You know, I mean, it's, it, you know, the game is on Steam and, you know, I, I mean, yeah. Anyway, it's it's cool. It's it's a cool way to revisit it. Um, we were talking about doing an Equinox for one of our the assignment. Oh yeah, but it would take I, a while. Yeah. I think it's, it's watching a, it's a pretty epic. Watching that YouTube video might be a better assignment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My only lament about it is that the the YouTube rip of it, or like you know, it was originally it was shipped on DVD, so it's like standard definition. Oh wow. Yeah. And like a modern, like something that just like captures it at a higher resolution, I think would definitely be yeah. nice. So. If you're I, listening, like a couple of my college roommates worked on worked on that game. So if you search YouTube for like Bioshock Infinite the movie or Uncharted Three the movie, you're that going totally to, exists. Yeah, yeah. people people yeah, yeah. like have tried to distill those games down to like yeah. two and a half hours. I, I didn't play Infinite actually. Like I just watched that. Like yeah, yeah. you probably like, got the better experience. I 
don't it really was, regret. Not it was play- yeah. fun. Sorry, clicking I, on some excellent people that I know work fishing, on that, but I'm not gonna yeah. a taco out of the trash can or whatever. Like, an <laughs> acronym, you do actually fish a taco out of a trash can. Yeah. I uh, I downloaded Anachronox earlier on the strength of that cut, like not maybe not on the strength of because you actually recommended watching this movie instead of <laughs> playing it, but like oh right Anachronox that's the thing I meant to look at because I don't mind JRPG combat. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and it's not bad. Like as 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 that goes, yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like it was sort of contemporary ish with the PC release of Final Fantasy seven. Almost exactly. Yes. Right. So no, actually. Yeah. Like uh PC FF, FF seven, like, like a, within a year or two of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like so roughly. Um, and I mean, I felt like Final Fantasy seven, the reason that I didn't like it was not because it was a JRPG because I didn't really mind the combat stuff. It was yeah. like, does Anachronox just have random encounters like running around out in the world? No, actually, it is like, like Chrono Trigger in the sense that every, every you're walking fight through is an environment and you see a little enemy chilling out and sometimes you can bypass them, but most of the time you're going to like, yeah. So, yeah, that, I mean, that means yeah. that means I will like it. It's a lot more like Chrono Trigger, honestly, in just about every way. Um, and then it's got like sort of an FF7 style materia system-y kind of thing that actually like gets weirdly deep later in the game do we know if like chrono trigger was a hit only in the u.s or something like the reason i ask is because Mm. uh every jrpg fan that i've talked to loves chrono trigger but right very few of the lessons that you could like jrpg developers could have learned from it actually took Hmm. right it's sort of it's almost like a a a weird dead end in uh in japanese rpg design yeah I mean, Paper Mario, I think, learned a lot from Chrono Trigger. Yeah, that's true. Structure. Yeah, no, I, no, that, I like, I that like whole, Paper Mario, too. That whole series, I think, is definitely, like, down that same road yeah. where every battle is basically a set piece. Yeah, like, I don't know what the, what, like, it would be interesting to hear somebody who had knowledge, has knowledge of or was involved in the, the, the Japanese game market in the 90s. Um, cause it seems like they were sort of being driven constantly to, you know, the, there was, the, there was a certain kind of maximalism that they were very much driven by, you know, I think where it's like tons and tons of random encounters. And I don't know, there, there's just certain design aesthetics that you look at and you're like, they must have really loved this mechanic because, you know, I could, <laughs> they you know, continually double down. Anytime you don't love a mecha- anytime you don't love something that a game is doing, but it's doing a ton of it, you're like, they must have, they either really loved this as developers or they felt like their audience would murder them if they didn't put this much of it in it, you know. Um, I mean, even the newest ones, the the Bravely Defaults are still doing all those random encounters. Yeah, yeah, like the, the Dogma has really, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's I mean, the classic JRPG. It's also possible for there to just be like, <clears throat> you know, just because it was a good idea this once doesn't mean that everything has to be like that, right? Like, just, just because we have, de- like, we enjoy the lack of random encounters enough that we will just, like, always choose to play a game that doesn't have them over a game that does, doesn't mean that, like, you know, that's all that Yeah, it's not like be, a right, right, true right? way. Like, um, like, yeah. I, one thing that's interesting is that, like, you know, in the early 80s, when there were sort of differences of design focus or principles like that, it ended up creating entirely new genres because, you know, like, uh, like, I guess, uh, wizardry, Ultima and wizardry, you know, made it across to Japan. Like uh, the, the, the story that I've heard for the genesis of JRPGs was that wizardry was a big, like made it to, uh, like eight bit Japanese micros, 
uh, 8-bit and 16-bit and then and caught on pretty hugely and that inspired like okay let's put this on the Famicom and you know let's let's do something like this for the Famicom and stuff like that um you know obviously taking a page from Ultima and Wizardry and um I don't know I mean those those are the two big ones but because you could tell that the developers were interested in different things about those games and that kind of like ended up sort of getting like mixed around a little bit and forming the DNA of the American CRPG and the Japanese CRPG. And, yeah. And wizardry know. was almost a Japanese CRPG. Yeah. Relative oh, yeah. to Ultima, right? Like yeah, it, the it, line it, of descent there is most is clearest, I think. Yeah. Um, whereas Ultima, it's like, man, Ultima's like just full like this, of all kinds this, of bizarre stuff. This turned know? into <laughs> like you, you like started making decisions about who you were rather than playing a character real early on. Yeah. And it got to be about like sort of talking to dudes about things that you decided to talk to them about early on also, as Definitely. opposed to just having like, here's the next plot point. It's like, well, where are you going to go? Here's this whole continent is open to you. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, like an Ultima four was the, you know, the first three Ultimas were much more down the lines like that. And then Ultima four started adding in like, you really got to talk to people about keywords and, you know, and do the whole virtues thing and all that. But that was like, that was like 85 or 86 or something. Right. So they had, I think, I think the, the, the genetic branch point, such as there's, something coherent enough to call it that like occurred earlier. Like I think in the early eighties, you know, because by the mid and late eighties, final fantasy was coming out in dragon warrior, uh, uh, dragon quest and, and whatever. Well, do we want to talk about doom or does anybody else have any other, uh, I mean, I played, I haven't played anything new. I continued, uh, I got back into and have progressed further in that, uh, visual novel. I've been playing Stein's gate. And I also picked up uh, TIS 100 for the iPad, and hmm. started getting back into that. It, it's in terms of you interface, played that on Steam, gorgeous. right? I played some of it. I I did not get very far, but uh, I enjoyed it. So I enjoyed it enough to to pick it back up again when the iPad version came out, and it looks great. It, they they he went, um, you know, really seriously about making the the screen look like it's a screen in this weird old microcomputer and the, the pop-up keyboard mm. that comes up is super clackety old style <laughs> key looking keys. And huh. Cherry switches. How yeah. does yeah. that company really support of a game when that company no longer exists? I, I mean, it's possible that, uh, they either contracted it out or there are still a handful of people still working there. Hmm. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what the situation is. That'll be, I hope I hope he comes to our GDC party. I don't know if he's coming Maybe to GDC. Maybe he's not coming to GDC. Mm. He works at Valve. He doesn't make games anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. so uh, I mean, they're working on Vive stuff, right? So who knows? So they're they're a game developer in the same way that Google is. <laughs> yeah, so Doom. Yeah. yeah. Surprise, we changed the assignment. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, we didn't tell anyone that we changed the assignment. None of us can fucking get it together to play Oxen Free. But I, we also uh, we had scheduled JP to come on as a guest, it. and then we fucked around and didn't play Oxen Free because we were all busy and uh, didn't want to didn't want to change it or make JP talk about Oxen Free as the Which world's foremost ex expert on Doom and who has also not Whoa. played Oxen Free. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. You guys start talking about Doom while I go to the bathroom. All right. So the assignment. The assignment we, we you guys don't know this, but it was actually specifically uh, John Romero's new level that 
was what was that like a couple of weeks ago? I didn't know that either. Oh, yeah, well, it was last month. Yeah, yeah. you or, played it. <laughs> we talked about it. Okay, the new episode one, level eight or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Doom, but historically was uh, you guys know this. I don't need to tell you what Doom is. Um, <laughs> was this first person shooter that we played on? Things called 486s. Yeah. Or in my case, yep. 386. Yeah, you had to shrink down the screen to the postage stamp. Yep. Low detail mode. Oh, I remember on like a 386 16, cranking it up to full screen and like just like getting my face really close to the screen, looking at all the high res, like 320 by 200. <laughs> oh, uh, God. And just being like, These oh yeah, of this conversations is- like I just feel like I can I can flash forward thirty years and we're and we're saying exactly this on the on the porch of a Cracker Barrel somewhere. Or something. Uh-huh. Just, uh-huh. No, I, I'm I, no, I've I'm accepted not, my I'm my fate. Not, yeah, no, I'm definitely not giving anyone guff for uh, <laughs> for, for reminiscing. Yeah, um, playing the uh, the new level um, reminded me a lot of what I liked about the game. I played it. I played it full keyboard like I used to play the I, Oh really? Okay. Yeah, I, I no only mouse. transitioned to mouse look with, with Quake. Yeah. And so like the the cording around where I was like pushing, you know, alt to strafe and left and right and then control to fire the gun. Well, so you like just using native controls, no remapping. Yeah. Wow. Just whatever came out of the box. Um Jeez. and like with my video card driver control alt and the arrow keys makes the screen rotate <laughs> so, <laughs> so, additional so, difficulty so i ended up doing that without realizing what was going on like what why <laughs> <That's> is incredible oh <laughs> uh, but yeah i i really enjoyed like and and it also let me exercise this skill that like you know despite it launching this genre most games in the genre don't play like this it's very odd like the skill of you know uh very quickly ascertaining the position of a threat from just stereo sound you know you have to be it's true turning to get that at full the, that full like location information but you can get it by if you're if you're moving around and like um and being ambushed the experience of like there's there was a there's a part in the level where like you hit a trigger and you start hearing, you know, teleport noises all around yeah. you, which is, which was like an incredible moment. Disconcerting. I think that's where, I think that's where I got creamed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I was playing with save states. I, yeah. I was playing. Where did, where did you guys decide that we were doing this weird John Romero level? Didn't we of, talk talked about it? Well. In the Slack. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did you play? <clears throat> Just, I had never gotten past the second level of just doom. Oh, um, so I played through Needy. No, I like the second level of Needy. Been the like yeah. I hated Doom, and I still don't know if I like it. Like it's, <laughs> I. So my playing playing it this time with through GZ Doom with mouse look and WASD actually like strafing. I was like, oh, okay. Like this actually feels a lot more modern than it did when I was when I tried to play it as a kid. Now was this with uh the mouse y axis moving you forward and back? Uh yes, but not 
Not, not, not a lot. Not meaningfully so. Yeah, yeah you generally like, want to turn that off. But not yeah, like it's so it you'd notice. I, the only time I ever noticed that is when I was, which I did a lot of the time, just playing the game from the map screen. Oh, like, yeah. Trying to figure yeah. out where the fuck to go. Uh, because every level of this game is just a dumb maze with the same three keys in it. <laughs> and that's actually like, it was looking at the the history of doom that that was like directly clearly directly inspired by like apogee shareware like they they used the the, Keen stuff. the maze system like or or like i don't know what's a what's the name of that sp- I, I i was gonna make a joke and like name a game that no one would know but i can't remember the name of it either so uh <laughs> blakestone aliens of gold it's like secret agent man it was like the, the platformers and they all have oh, the same uh, like like the george, george broussard's like uh like duke nukem agent sort of uh like like single screen little puzzle. secret agent was exactly the one i was trying to think yeah, of. Secret agent, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 like i'm pretty yeah. sure that had like the three mm-hmm. key colors and the lock colors mm-hmm. um my my complaint about Doom was always there's n- like there's no reason to go anywhere because there's never going to be anything except more dudes to shoot there. <laughs> and if it, like I realize that because I don't like shooting dudes, pr- I don't like shooting dudes as a primary thing. Like yeah. Doom was never going to be the game for me. Yeah, Duke 3D had like a movie projector that you could turn on and some pool balls that you could fuck with, and that was a revelation. So we had this conversation my- at dinner, but. I want to have it again. You love Robotron. Yeah. And I, and this is a, a lot of what I was thinking about when I was playing doom was like, if this game had a score, I would like it. Hmm. If this game had a score, okay. I would try to be good at it. Hmm. So would that also sort of necessitate that there are just a, an endless stream of enemies that could spawn? And uh, there aren't an endless stream of enemies in Robotron, right? Like you finish a level you're trying to survive it so that you can, and you know, you're trying to survive it and you're trying to optimize. Here's the, here's the amazing thing about Robotron. The, the people that you rescue are worth dramatically, progressively more and more points the more of him you rescue in a single life. So it is an optimization puzzle that is very, very directly rewarded via higher scores. Right. And higher scores give extra lives very generously so it becomes this like that's your real deep significant yeah like feedback loop of like skill being rewarded by score score reflecting skill so you don't want just a scoring system in doom you want a good scoring i want a good scoring system (laughs) in doom but even just a scoring system like spelunky doesn't have a good scoring system right in fact i actually think it has a bad one because i think that the whole idea like the whole concept of ghosting is awful yeah no it encourages if you're, if I, you're optimizing for score you're yeah, encouraging just terrible gameplay won't do it but i like i can i am capable like because the game the moment to moment gameplay of it is so good i can just i will only engage with the scoring system insofar as i agree with it right <laughs> but but yeah i mean if it or if it had a bunch of upgrade or if, and, and this is the thing like both of these things that i want out of doom would make doom categorically worse for posterity and for everyone else and i understand that like, so that's what mods are for, though. You know, I mean, and there is there are mods that add scoring systems to Doom and kind of make it like, and they they give you like siege maps and stuff. You know, where you're just kind of constantly being there. There there are mods that make Doom a lot more like Robotron in terms of a scoring system and multiple waves and all that kind of stuff. Um, Did you, you don't get, consider the different like weapons that you find to be upgrades. 
Not is, really. is question number one. And then, uh, it, like, would it be more interesting to you if you played it on a harder difficulty setting? Where, I like, mean, ammunition becomes a real limiting factor. You have to, you have to be, like... Your skill at actually executing yeah, the, like, might, you know, the, the shooting parts of it become important because you can't just sort of just constantly fire yeah. that shotgun or whatever. That's what Romero's level does right up right up front is like that first part where there's like the cracks in the floor that deal like extra damage to you. And there's like just the angles are very precisely arranged so that like you're going to get like, you know chipped away at by all these by all these yeah the, the opening to that level especially is very is brutal it's brutal yeah and it's and it's intentionally it's to get your ammo and health low so that for the entire rest of the level you feel like you're fighting back from a disadvantage um which i think is just like you know like it's like cool yeah that's some intentional design right there so it ends up like kind of cranking up like the difficulty like if you if you play on hurt me plenty like the the sort of average difficulty level that first little bit feels like the next difficulty level up and then it right yeah out a little bit it also has a lot more platforming to it than i felt like the whole i mean obviously it's you know informed by 20 years of yeah of, <laughs> of life or whatever but and like, other people figuring out what you can do with the doom engine yeah right for sure like, yeah right it is it's not it's not like because it, it would have been it would be a very interesting but kind of difficult uh to orchestrate exercise to like intentionally ignore the past like 20 years right. of what people have been doing with doom and just be like, no, I really am. I'm going to sort of just pick up exactly where I left off with the, um, you know, but, um, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm obviously, I think I, that would probably be less interesting in a lot of ways though, because you know, the, the coda of what the canon of what doom level design meant back then is sort of less interesting than, than, than what we have now. Here is something that I think would be of interest to me and potentially some listeners. Could someone who knows describe all of the different enemies in Doom and what makes them different from one another and what makes them interesting and what you have to do to deal with them? Yeah, I feel like I could do that for sure. Okay. Do it. Do you oh, mind right, doing right, it? Right Second now, question. Right Would you now? mind doing that? So there's the you mean like, right now? Well, I, let me see if I can like sort of prompt you and you can explain it. You can tell me if I'm wrong. So there's okay. the like the basic guys that look like humans or are humans. Yeah, there are two of those. Former humans. Yeah. Former humans. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's what they're called. There's one with a shotgun and one without a shotgun, right? So, and they're like they're like like one has a lot more hit points than the other. Yeah. A little bit. A, a little bit, but it's it's more about uh the damage they do. Okay. Yeah. And, and they're both hit scan. They're both yeah, they're crucially. both so they're, they're weak comparatively right and so, so they're like in they're like an area 51 enemy where the yep. longer they're on this the longer they are within sight line of you the more of your hit points you lose mm -hmm. right okay. right and so you want to either keep them at a distance or or take care of them first because you can't dodge their projectiles okay um there is the the imp who has uh a melee attack which the other two don't okay and a um a fireball which you can dodge and um Moves pretty slowly all the yeah. time. Yeah. Pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. So they're like the TIE Fighters in the Star Wars Vector game. <laughs> exactly. And they're the TIE Fighters of Doom, really, in that they're like weak and sort of disposable. I mean, I'm thinking of the LucasArts space sim games. but Yeah, yeah. 
um, the and pinky those the demon. Three, those are the only enemies on the first couple of levels, right? Like, unless and maybe there's some uh, like yeah, the, they, 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 well, they, yeah, they, I think so. There's, yeah, I mean, there's there's pinkies inspectors like for you know throughout episode one. They, are they, they bring those? In are there early. any on level one? I think on level yeah, one it's just like no. Level one just has imps and and troopers. Yeah, troopers and and yeah, like former humans. Uh, the pinky demon is kind of a. Um, is, is a melee is only. Is that the one that like charges you? The, kind of the sort of yeah. flesh lump thing. Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. Um, and it does a relatively fair, tough. Usually it takes does, two shotgun hits. Yeah, it does a fair amount of damage if you let it get close to you. But you can like, you can kind of bait out an attack and dodge back while it's in its attack animation. Yeah. Uh, um. So there's that whole dancing kind of thing. Uh, and the uh the the invisible pinky demon which is the same thing but hard to see and it's interesting <laughs> that they didn't do that with any of the other enemies yeah and it's i, I think mean, it's I think just because that's been... the one that that is like optimal for sneaking up on you yeah yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. and it's it's a little less fair with the ones that are just constantly plinking you oh yeah and yeah, then, yeah like yeah, yeah. invisible hit scan invisible complete pain an invisible imp would the projectile be invisible right. too and then invisible. if if it wasn't then what's the point right yeah 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 that's just a that's just a pain yeah and i'm, I'm now i'm now i'm like getting into the territory where like i'm trying to remember what was in doom what was in doom 2 well in episode one at the end of episode one the uh there's it, there's, it there's adds the, the right yeah. there's the two hell barons and they are very tough they take like multiple rockets or like a couple yeah, of they're, dozen they're very like hits hardy but they aren't actually like that much in terms of they're attack. not a huge threat they're, like they're yeah. a huge, they become a huge threat in close quarters whereas when you have yeah. enough room to like strafe around them yeah they're not they're kind of like a dodge than the than the imps projectiles yeah yeah uh and 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 that and that caps off the the shareware and then in the rest of uh registered doom i i can let you keep going if you want uh, uh there's what what do we have we have the uh, the lost souls mm-hmm. we yeah, have the cacodemons flying chargers cat cacodemons slow tough floaters that shoot imp style fireballs that was the the pain elemental in one that was that was he was in two what okay. is he? He, she, it. Uh, that was a, a like a hacker demon that spits lost souls. Yeah, like just a, a, like is a is a is it spawns other enemies that you okay. know. The caco demon is like the beholder looking thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the lost Red souls beholder. are the flo- flying skulls mm-hmm. yeah. from devil daggers. Has anybody, been, has <laughs> anybody right. else been playing devil daggers? By the way, I have not yet. I'm hoping we're going to do that as an assignment. I want an excuse to play it. No. Yeah. I don't know if there's a Mac version. But. There is not, unfortunately. No. You can suck it up. Yeah, there have been some really. Um, there have I'm been some, happy to watch other people play it on videos. Right. There have been some really good, um, like, uh, breakdowns of. There's a really good YouTube video that talks about all of the enemies in Doom One and how they relate to one another. I I don't have the. I, I, I don't know the, the the name of the the person who did the video off the top of my head. And then there's a really good forum post uh, on the Doom World forums about how the Doom Two specific enemies added a whole other layer of tactical complexity above like the doom one enemies. Um, and both of those are like really excellent pieces of design writing. Like they really get yeah. into like, yeah, what, I, what it all means and stuff. Like I, that. I do feel like it's a really good diverse enemy set that provides a lot of like, uh, like the putting them together in different combinations provides a lot of flavor. Um, yeah. and I also feel like the level design feeds into that really well where like, uh, I, I remember replaying Doom on the the 360. That was a really good port, by the way. That mm-hmm. um, just encountering these like interesting ambush situations, interesting tactical spaces, uh, just 
really just a really solid design job. And what makes that even more impressive is that that was the basically their first 3D game and for anyone's first 3D game, 3D shooter in that in that regard. Yeah, yeah I was really impressed. Yeah. So then describe the differences between the guns. <laughs> that one is sure okay. Uh you've got the the fist which is just kind of pointless and a joke. Um but becomes awesome when you get the berserk pack. Right. I mean it becomes yeah. awesome for a melee thing. Like it, it, it becomes it, like, you know, does that stay it, awesome or does do it you, stays does it, on for the rest of the level. Okay. But obviously, yeah, when you hit a level transition, it goes away. Yeah. Um, the, the chainsaw is a, a melee, but it, it does a fair amount of continuous damage. And I think it stun locks everybody. It kind of, well, yeah, like in all doom enemies have variable called pain chance that, um, that it's different for each type of enemy. Yeah. Um, and so enemies with a high pain chance, like the cacodemon and the, and the demon, you can get them, you can, you can get them into a flinch state indefinitely with things that hit a lot per second. Like yeah. Chainsaw and that's, and, that's and per, that's per attack, not per the amount of damage, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 So that, so weapons that hit faster and the chainsaw, I think might actually hit every frame, um, are, are much more likely to, to keep an enemy stun locked. Um, is the chainsaw only in Doom 2? No, it's in, yeah, no, it's in the first no. one. I think the only weapon that Doom Two added was the double shotgun. Yeah, um, the the pistol is a a basic uh, hit scan weapon. You, I don't think you'd ever want to use it once yeah, you get better it's kind weapons. Of a shooter, what, is, like, what is this phrase? Hit scan. Uh, it means that uh, the the bullets don't, aren't actually physically modeled. They're just uh, rays shot onto the world instantaneously. So, like, if the guy is in front of you when you pull the trigger, it hits yeah. it, as opposed to having to still be there when the bullet gets to it. Okay. There's no actual instantiation of a of a projectile in the world. Yeah, thanks. That's probably something half the listeners were wondering as well. <laughs> um, the, the shotgun um, is uh, is powerful up close, but but spreads out pretty quickly. It's not a very good ranged weapon. It, in fact, like if you only have the, the pistol and the shotgun and you're fighting something far away, you actually do want to use the pistol. Um, the double shotgun is even more so like, I think it spreads out even faster or even like more, more divergent. Yeah. It just has like a heck of a lot of pellets and they, the, the spread is like twice as wide. Yeah. So is it something up? Does close it actually put projectiles will. in the world or is it, is the no. shotgun also hit scan? No, the, the only, uh, the only non hit scan player weapons are the rocket launcher, the plasma, the plasma rifle and the BFG. Right. All um, the, are- the, uh, the, the mini gun is like a distance chainsaw. Yeah, fires like pistol bullets, but then like in a in a spread, and uh, yeah, that's what you always use against cacodemons because their pain chance is high enough that if you if you keep the crosshair, if you keep your if you keep your sights on them, then they will they have a zero percent chance of being able to retaliate. You know, which would normally like that's that doesn't sound very interesting. Well, it's because there's like 50 other enemies on screen like coming at you. That's that's the doom right design yeah. philosophy of like you know. Right. Uh, uh, the rocket launcher is a, um, a very powerful weapon, but has the disadvantage that if you hit something too close to yourself, you take damage. So it's, you've got the trade off there of like, you can, you can't use it in close quarters. And if like something dodges in front of you while you're using it, you're probably going to die. 
And if you get tricked into picking one up at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep, that's right, because weapons auto-switch and... and, and you know. Right, and, and weapons, interestingly enough, they I, I don't know if they added this, like, for realism or for this particular situation, but, like... Switching weapons takes like a second, a second and a half, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a, yeah, it's not, um, it. So like tactically. It's a little less than a second, I think, but it, it feels long enough to be, it's definitely long enough to be tactically significant. Yeah. And it's the, the same cost for each type of weapon. Right. So. It, like you, the, one of them like drops down off the screen, another one comes up and it's, it's that you, you definitely can't like it, it, you'd have to, you have to like, allocate time in the in the battle to to switch weapons yeah, if you want to do being that pretty yeah like it's it's a major part of the the tactics and stuff cause, yeah because you do have reasons like i mean the the, the top tier weapons let's say like the super shotgun the chainsaw the rocket uh, sorry the chain gun uh the rocket launcher the plasma and you know those are sort of like your once once you're deep enough into the game that you have all of those weapons there are compelling reasons to switch between all of them besides just ammo you're like Okay, I'm in, t- I'm in close or I'm, you know, I'm in close quarters or I'm, I just have a really tough enemy. I'm going to pull out the super shotgun. I'm at a distance. You know, let me use the, let me use the chain gun. The chain gun actually ends up being like, so, uh, the chain gun, like the first vo- shot in a volley always hits. So there's this kind of like cheese mm. tactic where like if there's a Kakudemon at like a great distance or something, you can just kind of tap, 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 which sort of feels a little like burst fire in like all the sort of Counter-Strike era <laughs> games where you're like just doing like little short bursts or something. I mean, it is, it's entirely an emergent f- factor of the design and I don't think levels for the originals were, were designed with it in mind. But yeah, the, so the chain gun actually kind of ends up feeling like a rifle when you just use it in like individual shots. Mm. Um, and then yeah, up that's... close, obviously you'll just lay down on it and it, and it just sprays but yeah uh, but yeah that's weird yeah weird quirks of it the the plasma rifle is actually one that i'm still confused by like i mean obviously so it it, fire, it does rapid fire of like um <coughs> of um slow moving relatively like relative to like the yeah, bullets. non i mean non-hit scan non-hit scan yeah. and uh, attacks and it kind of takes up a lot of the screen like it kind of obscures your vision yeah. But the, the part that I don't, I never quite got is that, um, when you stop firing, there is like a cooldown period before you can start firing again. Not real. I don't think so. What, what does happen is that the, uh, the, the sort of like kickback, you know, like you hold down the button and it just plays a firing animation and plasma balls keep coming out. Yeah. Uh, but when you lay off of it, there's sort of like this recoil. There's something that feels like it, it's maybe like adding some latency or something. Um, that's the animation I'm well, talking no, and, about. And like, probably, no, yeah, you're right. There probably, there probably, there is like some amount of like refire time. It's not nearly as significant as either shotgun, obviously. Um, but yeah. And, but, but the actual weapon kicks up yeah. enough and it takes up like a third of your screen practically. Um, which, so it just ends up like, you know, it's interesting how like things that are completely not down to like number variables still end up factoring very heavily into the weapons usage. Cause yeah, if you're up close using the plasma gun, like most of your view is taken up by like plasma explosions and stuff. Right. So like, it's a little less good to, I mean, use it in close quarters if, if you're in a dire situation because it does dish out the damage pretty well, but yeah. Um, yeah. It, just the fact that like, I mean, if it, if it's, if it's like, it's almost like it's overheating, but it doesn't actually yeah. overheat until you let go of the trigger. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very it's, it's strange a weird, choice. Yeah. I should like track 
John Romero down at GDC or something. <laughs> ask him, like, yeah, what the deal with the plasma rifle was. Yeah. I feel like I have seen him at a hundred different events in the last yeah. three he's, years. He's very good. He's just a guy that goes everywhere and yeah, is yeah. always, like, out yeah, talking to people. He's super friendly yeah. and just, so. yeah. And then the BFG. And which here is... I thought he was going to make me his bitch. Oh, <laughs> Don't bring that up. <laughs> no, I, yeah, would, I wouldn't uh, bring it up to him. So the so, <laughs> so the BFG has its own FAQ. I don't know, like you can right. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. The BFG fac um, by by Lee Kilo Kilok or anyway, like one of the guys who cleaned up the 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 Doom source code when it was released. Anyway, the BFG is like the super weird thing. It's basically the kill everybody in the room gun, but it has enough weird quirks to it that yeah, you can't depend on it to kill everybody in the room when room size or enemy count is above a certain value. Yeah, and there there are, you know, ways to optimize its usage, but general I would imagine most players would just shoot it and then watch things die. Yeah. You know. When you've saved up enough ammo, you're like, okay, screw it. I don't feel like dealing with 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 these jerks right now. It ends up being more strategic in like, you know, in in the in the Doom 2 levels that are really throwing like lots of enemies at you. It ends up being somewhat strategic, you know, and you you kind of internalize some of the weird things about the way that it works. What it does is it sends out in brief, it sends out like a single large projectile with like a uh, it's a like you you hit the button and it actually takes like a second or so to ramp up before the projectile comes out. The projectile moves at like a reasonable speed and then when it hits it sends out a bunch of like invisible traces to kind of determine what gets damaged and then it deals out it sort of portions out the total amount of damage that it can deal to different enemies in the room. So depending you can get like wildly variable results. Like if you hit an enemy um, like a, a, a hell baron or something up close with it the Baron eats most of that damage and will usually die, you know? So if you want to one shot, like, you know, the toughest, like rank and file enemy in the first game, you know, you can do that. But then like, it gets weirder, like in doom two, they kind of stress it where it's like, yeah, there's like these guys that are like big bullets, you know, like man or something. They're big bullet sponges. And, you know, you hit them, you, you hit the BFG and you might take down like one or two of them, but then there's all these other guys that you have to worry about and whatever. So even that they kind of manage, like it has enough quirks in its code that it ends up being something that, you know, is not just like the uninteresting screw you kill everything. You know, yeah. There's nuances to its use. Yeah. And like one of the weird things about it is that it fires the traces at the time that the big projectile hits. Hits. Yeah. So you can be around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. And does it fire it in the direction you're facing or in the direction you were facing? The direction you, uh, I think the direction you were facing when the projectile hits, which is even weirder. <laughs> so that you can like, yeah, yeah. And, and, and in deathmatch, people use, the people do all kinds of weird stuff. The yeah, other, like yeah. the, the deathmatch BFG trick is taking advantage of the old and like source ports recreate this, even though there's no longer, there was a limit on the number of sound channels you could have playing at once. And so what you could do is, and there was only one that could be coming from the player and weapon sounds came from the player. So you could, uh, you could be behind a corner waiting and your, let's say your deathmatch opponent is like around, is down the hallway. You hit use to play the classic, like, uh, like trying to, trying to open a secret door sort of sound. And if you hit, if you fired the BFG before that sound, before the, uh, the quiet, not very large radius uh, sound was done playing, you would get what is called the silent BFG. And so then <laughs> what your opponent would see is just without any kind of warning, you know, because the, the big sound that it would play when it fired was part of the, you know, was part of the balancing of the weapon in multiplayer. 
So anyway, yeah, silent BFG trick. Uh, yeah, you sometimes you just see the giant ball coming down the down the hall towards you, and yeah, just weird stuff like that that had to do with sound blasters. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, me and JP obviously have a lot of history with this game. <laughs> no, this is fan- this is fantastic. I'm I'm really enjoying listening to you guys talk about it. Awesome. I'm sorry, I'm asking like basic no, this is, doom questions because i i I, you know, I uh rejected the idea of explaining doom to the listeners while you were in the bathroom so i'm glad you forced me to do it oh well i'm glad i wasn't here I'm glad, I'm, a because i would still really really have to pee uh-huh. uh, but also because we wouldn't have gotten that thing that was i found i found very edifying oh well, good our listeners are all too young to have even know what doom is so I feel like that's that's a lot of the systems of the game, and then sort of the other major part is sort of the level design. Then, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that's and that's one thing I miss. Like when I first saw Devil Daggers, which this this is a this is a wrong and silly opinion, by the way. But when I first like the first five seconds of footage I saw of Devil, Devil Daggers was like. This looks amazing. Like, you know, just the audio visuals of this are mind blowing and it looks like it's got this kind of nice tight, like twitch design to it. I wish there were levels, you know, I wish there were like these elaborate, weird environments that echoed this aesthetic where you were running around, you know, on the other hand, I mean, having like, I I still haven't played it, but like having seen like, you know, the video where somebody survives for like 78 seconds and it's like a freaking Olympic champion level achievement. It's like, okay, no, this, this game is like just very intelligently. This game is just very disciplined in how it was made and stuff. So they make, they make it work entirely. And then like later, like big terrifying enemies come in and they like take up most of the playable space and you're like, Oh, okay. So yeah, like, you know, the enemies are really the level design. Um, right. I, yeah, I think like, it's definitely fair to say, I wish that the guy that made devil daggers made a game with levels and environments to explore using yeah. the aesthetic. If, of devil, devil if devil daggers two has like amazing, like abstract, horrifying level design, then like, I am like 2000% all over that because yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, but I think like, yeah, with Doom, it's like, yeah. So all, all those, the, the, the balance of the weapons and the monsters is really significant. And then the level design provides this infinite permutation space for it. And that's, that's, that's honestly why people are still making stuff like every month. Like there's like a dozen new Doom levels that the community is making. And some of them are bad and some of them are made by people who have been making Doom levels for like 15 years. And it's amazing. So yeah. Sorry. You were going to say, Jim. Oh, I, w- I was going to say the other thing, the other reason I want levels out of Devil Daggers is that um, when I played, you know, for, so my, my reference for this is actually Geometry Wars. And um, my motivation to play Geometry Wars dropped off pretty fast after I set a pretty high score that I couldn't beat in a session, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, a, the, and that's what happens with those. It, Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, that's that's just how I personally am motivated to play these games. Is like unless I feel like I'm making progress, then I I don't I lose interest. And oh, huh. And Devil Daggers only has one axis on which to measure measure progress. Um, and uh, providing like even if it were something like I like right now, I think there's just one static enemy pattern that happens every time. Is the way that was the way that game works. If there were ten of those and a progression, I think that would some, that's something that would keep my attention for longer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of more like Devil Daggers is sort of more the uh, the the Yoshi's. Tu- you ever play Yoshi's Touch and Go? 
Yes, I did. It reminded me, like, talking about the DS's golden era where they were, like, really trying out some pretty legit new things. Like, Yoshi's Touch and Go was bizarre because, like, it was a relatively full-priced DS game, but it was basically, like, sort of an arcade challenge mode kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it did not, like, provide significant variation in its level design. It was basically, like, here's a mechanic that we have kind of polished to a mirror sheen see how good you can get with it, you know? And I played it at the time, and I just, you know, like, I kind of got as far as I could with it, but, you know, especially because it had the aesthetic of Yoshi's Island, which is, like, one of my favorite, like, you know, games of that era, you know, it's just, like, beautiful and whatever. Um, but, it, but you know, Yoshi's, Yoshi's Island had all this level design. It was just sort of endlessly inventive. It was, like, that team's, like, last Super NES thing, basically. Yep. And so they just took it completely through its paces. I don't know. I'm heavily, like, Obviously, as somebody whose career was like level design, like primarily level designer for years and years, like I'm extraordinarily biased towards, yes, give me levels to sort of fully explore the, the interest and depth that's in a particular mechanic or web of mechanics. Um, right. But, you know, like I, th- there's also like really good reasons to push back against that, you know, to be like, no, what if we just limited it? I mean, not the least of which is just like dev scope. It's like, right. no, devil daggers just wouldn't exist. Like, you know, if, if they had all like, you know, lost their minds and given up trying to make devil daggers, but with levels, then it's obviously better that Devil Daggers exists. But over and above that, it's like, I think it's a completely legit creative decision to be like, no, this is not a game where architecture plays a significant part. This is just about the core mechanics. Pay attention to that. Like, you know. Somewhat speaking of which, uh, Super Hot comes out tomorrow. So we'll oh, see. Yeah. We mm-hmm. will see if an entire game is is able to deliver on the promise of that sort of seven day FPS premise well i think i think that specific game uh and just probably most things that involve time control need some amount of level design support and the variation that comes from that to be able to shine like there's some that's the other thing like some mechanics you can put them down in an empty room like mario 64 you could just you could more or less have like an empty room and you're still kind of having fun yeah whereas other games it's like yeah like doom in an empty room is like eh, it's not that you know whereas you add even like two enemies and a pillar in the middle and it's like okay this is starting to get interesting right so you know you know it's kind of like food ingredients in dishes that like Sometimes it's just like really good on its own. You can have like a piece of filet mignon just sitting in the middle of the plate and it's amazing. And other times it's like, no, you want to like, you know, combine all these sometimes things. Sometimes you just get a plate with a stick of butter on it. And you're like, <laughs> well, um, it's not, uh, I'm not going to say I don't like butter. <laughs> That one weekend with Marlon Brando just really put a bad taste in my mouth about the whole thing. And I, uh, guys, I gotta go. Um, cool. Does anybody else have anything else to say about Doom? Or have we doomed out? I feel satisfied with the amount of Doom. All right. <laughs> Uh, if you play the episode backwards, this is all about moods. Yeah. 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 If you play it forward, it's all about moods, too. It's just different moods. Uh, I guess we're going to do Oxen Free for the next assignment. Yeah, let's, let's yeah just, we got to get her done. Got to get out of the way. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I'm not going to be here next Sounds week. obligated. Oh, right. Do you guys want to do the show without me? We've never done with them, one without you. I think you should. Uh, it, you're just trying to get out of playing Oxen Free. <laughs> <laughs> It's up to you guys. Oh, Oaxacan free. Uh, I think we'll go. Oaxacan free. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to Oaxaca. I'm going to, uh, 
Quintana Roo. Okay. Did, did you know there's a state in Mexico called Quintana Roo? R-O-O? No. How do you even say R-O-O, R-O-O in, in really? Spanish? Roo? It's Roo. I don't know. Yeah, I've never seen, like, the double O. Yeah. Does the second O have a, a diuresis over it? I don't know. I've, there's pills you can take before you go down there to avoid the diuresis, <laughs> yeah. though. Good. That's what. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, set up. <laughs> Let's, um, let's, uh, let's not do it in this, uh, an episode next week. All right. So, we, guys, we have two weeks to play Oxen Free. Yes. I think uh, we can do it. You, you mean two more after <laughs> yeah, the We've after had the, the first two, two already. Yeah. 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 Okay. Guys, we're going to do it. Um, I don't remember how we end the show anymore. So, I'm going to say thank you, JP, for yeah. uh, for being on the show. It was thank a real delight. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was good. Um, yeah. The show was fun. Good, for, good show. Somebody end it. Good show. This is worth two episodes. Put me out of my misery you here. cut it in half and release the second half next week. Oh, yeah. Okay. One, one second each, like a grill, like every other oh, second. Yeah. Interleave wow. it, yeah. yeah. That'd be the worst feed. Or like two of us. We have four separate mics. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but there's so much bleed because they're not oh, really yeah. isolated in here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We could do just riffs as one episode and then sure. us without riffs as another episode. Uh, yeah, guys, uh, this has been fun. Uh, and I hope uh, I hope you listeners have enjoyed listening to episode number 233 of Video Games Hot Dog. And, uh, you know, go to iTunes. Give us a review. Give us a rating. That's something that we never say anymore. Kevin used to say it every fourth episode because he thought saying it more often than that would be crass. Yeah, gauche. But now I just don't say it at all. Yeah, that's way less g- g- gauche. And we've and our ratings have dropped. So. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Wow. So let's just start saying it every three episodes. Is two hundred thirty-three divisible by three? No, it's not. You've got to go back in time and erase that. Pro- or the- nope. No more editing. Erase is, the plug. Is partly a product of is partly a, a a factor of 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 desperation. You know, yeah. Like it's less gauche if if you're in real need. Right. We really need those ratings, guys. Yeah. We really do. We really need those ratings and those reviews, and we really need you to tell a friend to listen to Video Games Hot Dogs. Say, hey, J.P. LeBreton was on an episode, so it was actually good. Why don't you go listen to it? That's what you could say to your friend. Thank you for that. And your friend your friend will say, oh, okay, I guess I'll give it a shot. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Have a great week. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Kakaboo boo boo